Welcome to the Embodied Aquarian Age podcast. This is Emily Trinkus, and I recently had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Judy Tsafrier, a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who went rogue and broke out of the conventional mental health paradigm. Judy is on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and the Boston Psychoanalytic Institute and teaches and supervises at the Cambridge Health Alliance. Several years ago, catalyzed by a convergence of crises in her personal life, Judy started exploring holistic and spiritual approaches to healing. She studied and trained in many alternative modalities, including astrology, and began bringing these different practices together in her work with patients. In her brilliant new book, Sacred Psychiatry, Bridging the Personal and Transpersonal to Transform Health and Consciousness, Judy discusses her paradigm-shifting approach to healing within the bigger collective context of these wild times. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Judy. I have been so excited about our talk. I loved your book, Sacred Psychiatry. We're going to get into that. And it just seems like the perfect synchronicity that as we're meeting, the moon is approaching its monthly or so conjunction with Chiron. And I know this is an archetype that's very powerful for you, certainly for me as well, um, in your own personal healing journey, but also um, as maybe an inspiration for writing this book and for your approach to working with clients. So Let's start with Chiron. Who is Chiron and what's the significance of that archetype for you? Well, Chiron is a figure in Greek mythology. And there are a number of different versions of the myth. But um, let me all ju just say first, Emily, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've known Emily for quite a long time, and she's been an important teacher of astrology for me. And I regularly um, follow her work because I love her um, grasp of the archetypes. And mm. um, I never I never come away without feeling like there is somewhat new way to think about things. So I just wanted to first express that appreciation. Oh, thank you, Judy. I, I was thinking, I think it's been, has it been about a decade that We've known At least, other. I think so. I think so. But we've never actually met in person. Not um, yet. Not yet. So anyhow, um, I was about to start talking about Chiron and the myth of Chiron. Um, Chiron um, was born under traumatic circumstances. Um, his mother was a nymph named Philyra, and she was raped by, I think it was by Zeus. Um, and he, I mean, she ran away from him trying to escape and changed herself into a horse. And then he changed himself into a horse and impregnated her. And so when the baby was born, Chiron was half human and half centaur, uh, half horse, a centaur. And Philyra was so disgusted by his appearance that um, she rejected him and abandoned him. And uh, so like he was born of rape, he was rejected at birth um, and he 
the, the God Apollo found him and um, adopted him. And Apollo and his sister Diana raised Chiron and um, gave him a fabulous education. They um, taught him about all kinds of different arts, um, astrology, healing, herbalism, uh, music. And he grew up to be this extremely well-educated, refined um, being, which is in great contrast to the average centaur, uh, which have a reputation of being very rowdy and vulgar and crude. Um, and Chiron was so um, extraordinary that the kings at that time sent their sons, not their daughters, to be educated by him. And um, he was very revered. And then one of his students was Hercules, who accidentally shot Chiron in his leg with um, an arrow that was dipped in the blood of a hydra so that the wound would not heal. And Chiron, despite all of his um, enormous healing capacities, uh, couldn't heal his own wound. And so there's this um, kind of common way that he'll be referred to as the wounded healer. Um, and he was in kind of constant agony with this uh, unhealable wound. And then the story goes on that he knew of Prometheus who had been chained to a rock by the gods and who was having his um, liver pecked out daily by um, an eagle because of his, um, the gods were angry that he had given fire to humankind. And Chiron offered to change places with Prometheus. And so in an act of altruism, he um, saved Prometheus. And then the gods were so touched by his compassion that they released him as well. And he put him up in the sky as a, um, as a constellation. And so the archetype of Chiron um, has something to do with um, the way in which it can be, there can be wounds that we have that are not healable, but that also can be the source of genius. Um, and at the same time, um, that there's something about uh, saving oneself through acts of service and compassion um, that is part of the myth. And, uh, and, and I identify with Chiron because he was a healer that drew upon all kinds of different modalities, as do I. And um, also I had a very traumatic um, experience um, of being born to a mother who was very depressed and who also re rejected me um, and said I was an ugly baby. And um, so there's just something about that um, archetype that speaks to me, and also, um, like it's both our 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 woundedness and our capacity to be healers at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also something that I really relate to and appreciate about that 
story of Chiron is that we don't have to be fully healed and perfect ourselves in order to help other people. And that it's, you know, maybe exactly the thing that we think is so wrong with us and so unhealable that where we find the medicine or the power or the skills to help other people. Because I think there yeah. can be that illusion, right, when it comes to the right. healer. That you have to perfect yourself first. And I mean, I honestly think that um, all of us have experiences in life, and maybe it also comes from past lives, where there are um, there are things that we cannot like really overcome. We can process them, we can work with them. Um, Ram Das talked about like becoming a connoisseur of your neuroses, which I really liked. You know, like you know yourself. And um, so Emily and I were having a um, conversation before we started recording this about like self-confidence and um, like how like it was hard for me to um, like believe in my book and um, have the um, confidence to, you know, promote my book. And all of that is like this chironic wounding. Yeah. And, you know, when I used to do an apprenticeship for astrologers or people who wanted to become astrologers, what I would always hear is something like, well, I'm too anxious. So I know it's not time yet to do a reading. And I was like, if if that were my criteria for doing readings, I still wouldn't be doing readings. I've been doing them for 20 years and I still get anxious. So that's not, you know, we it's, same here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there's something very vulnerable about sharing our gifts. And I, and I think this is part of why so many people keep those gifts hidden because it's, it is very revealing and also maybe stirs up our own wounding to be, you know, engaging with other people's wounding. It's all, there's something very tender and vulnerable about Chiron. Yes. And powerful. And powerful and the, and the power in that vulnerability. And speaking of vulnerability, you do share very um, vulnerably and authentically in your book about your own Chiron return and how that was a big, that time in your life was such a huge impetus to delve into these alternative realms. And I, this is just, this is so impressive to me, Judy. You are so impressive to me, Judy, but to be someone who's, you know, a, a psychiatrist, an MD, teacher at Harvard, to have this very impressive career, and then to go off in this, you know, woo direction, which it, I think that requires so much courage and such a big risk. So what what was it that propelled you to go in that direction around, and it seems like that all shifted around the Chiron return, right? Right, right. Well, there's many answers to that. You know, like there there are multiple answers. Like there's the answer of the Chiron return, you know, that I was in my Chiron return and that for many people, this happens like very frequently in my practice that people show up when they're 49 and when they're 50 and that there's some kind of way that some kind of, um, there's some interest in spiritualizing their life or there's some kind of wounding that is being brought up to be processed and healed in a new kind of way. Um, so there was the Chiron return going on. Um, <laughs> the, I don't know if you know the astrologer Anne Orderly, 
But she pointed out to me that at the time of my Chiron return, that my Mercury for the first time in my life went out of bounds. And so that's also very interesting. Like out of bounds planets are kind of rogue and they don't really obey. And um, so I was um, like thinking about things in a new kind of way and kind of going off the reservation. Um, but like the impetus in 3D reality was loss and a confluence of losses where um, I was in a very oppressive marriage and the marriage ended and I had three young children. And three weeks later, um, when I separated from my ex-husband, my father died. And then three months later, my mother died. And so I was um, just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. There was um, so much change and so much loss. And I consulted an astrologer for the first time. Um, I'd always known about astrology because my dad was interested in astrology. Um, so it was something that was kind of part of my vocabulary always, but I had never like had a consultation. I had never really delved into it myself. And I was so fascinated by the consultation and so impressed that I returned to see her multiple times um, to look at the charts of everyone in my life. And, um, and then eventually decided that I needed to uh, learn to read charts myself. This was so unbelievable. And um, so I began this apprenticeship with Stephen Forrest, which at that time was still in person. And uh, that was kind of like the gateway drug, you know, like to you know, exploring all kinds of different things. It's just like my life, and this happens a lot with the Chiron return, that the life really becomes spiritualized in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And that's another another way that we think about Chiron, and you write about this in your book, and of course, Barbara Handclough has her book about Chiron as the rainbow bridge, mm -hmm. as this um, connector between the material realm and the spiritual realm as Chiron travels between Saturn, our 3D reality, and Uranus, the first of the invisible or transpersonal planets. And it just seems like the the role that you're playing in, you know, having one foot in the more conventional realm of psychiatry, and then another foot in this spiritual, astrological, shamanic realm, you, you're, you're very much playing Chiron here. Yes, that that's that is very true. And um it's interesting though because I feel like I can bring my 3D conventional knowledge into the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm is more holistic, but the 3 3D, 3D realm is much less open to the other side. Well, and I'm curious about how you've been received in your profession having gone rogue right i think that people like basically try to like pretend like that's not going on or something like that you know like um and people don't ask me and i don't like when i when i do teaching i don't like bring up the astrology of the patient or something like that that i'm um consulted about um i recently made a proposal to the Boston Psychoanalytic Institute um, that I would like, they have these talks on Thursday night, a proposal for a talk about um, 
I the title of the talk, and it's provocative, uh, admittedly. Um, it was the quote from Maya Angelou. I used to do what I knew how to do, and now that I know better, I do better. Um, so it was like, in a way, like a critique of the fact that psychoanalysis is so like completely secular and personality based, and that uh, the talk was going to be about the book and how I feel particularly at these times that we're living through, there's um, such a need to incorporate um, spiritual perspectives. People feel so frightened um, and um, and that there's many other things besides um, our childhood to think about when it comes to like healing holistically. And so I wanted to talk about those things. And um, so somebody finally got back to me and said, well, we think that maybe this would be a better book for our program that's called Meet the Author. Like they were like, kind of like trying to, it seemed to me like, um, <laughs> like passing a hot potato. And, um, and now I haven't heard from them yet. So I don't know, you know, like, it, it's like, I'm not in the closet, but um, it's not like I'm embraced. Yeah, and it's no surprise. Right. I, I, I would imagine they don't quite know what to do with you because obviously you've proven yourself as a very intelligent and successful. Right, I'm not a flake. I'm not a, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a flake. I mean, exactly. Maybe they think I'm flaky, but you know, like it's like I have all the credentials. Right. You have the credentials, and then it also seems like um, you know you give a lot of case studies or examples from your patients in the book and and you have success right there's if it's working then yeah isn't that the whole point of what you're up to if it's effective then what's to what's to argue with but it's funny you know like i mean i don't know if this has changed now but the ideal in psychoanalysis in the past was not really that a person feel better but that they have self-knowledge Mm -hmm. you know like freud's thing was like normal human misery mm -hmm. like very low bar right <laughs> right and and i'm sure not why people come to see you as patients mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. not yeah um i want to go back to what, what you were just talking about in terms of like the the times that we're in and we know i mean as astrologers we have a, a certain perspective on these wild times and this massive time of transition. But, you know, it, it seems like at the core of so much that's not working in medicine and in mental health has to do with this consciousness of separation, right? And we can think about that in so many ways. But one of those ways, I think, is in the separation between what someone's going through on a personal level and what's happening in the world. And there's you know, the, the the default, I think, is to see someone's problems as all about their childhood or their brain chemistry or their DNA and totally decontextualized, where we know, like, the world is crazy right now. <laughs> like, and we're not, and as we know, we're not separate, we're all connected. So I, I would love to hear you talk a bit about how you see that bigger picture of where we're at collectively, and then how that understanding informs your work with clients or how, how you see that interplay between individual mental health and healing and what's unfolding in the collective. 
Well, I can think of so many different ways to go with that um, question. Um, I mean, we're in this time of like transformation and accelerated change and like this, um, this Saturday, Pluto moves into Aquarius and um, I don't know, in, in um, December of 2020, there was that conjunction of um, Saturn and Jupiter. And um, that was like a conjunction in the sign of air. It just seems like so we're moving from a paradigm of earth to a paradigm of air where things in the earth paradigm were, you know, measurable and material and 3d and, um, perceived with the five senses. And now we're moving into a time that is much more quantum and energetic and, um, healing needs to be like that. It's, um, you know, like the, you know, the paradigm in psychiatry has been like, um, identify symptoms and then prescribe a pharmaceutical to suppress them. And if that causes side effects, prescribe yet another pharmaceutical to deal with the side effects. And, um, it's very linear and very mechanistic and, um, the healing and the approach that is called for today is one that is much more holistic and um, recognizes that um, a person is like an energetic being with um, a spirit and a soul and that um, healing needs to incorporate that spiritual aspect of a person very importantly, even maybe more importantly than, um, I mean, it's all important. You can't leave out anything, but um, so we need to address the, spiritual aspect of a person and you know conventional medicine does not do that at all it um is just totally secular and um based on the physical reality of the body and the physical reality of the body is incredibly important and needs to be addressed and supported and um we need to eat in ways that um, support ourselves and decreases inflammation and we need to move our bodies and we need to have exposure to light. Um, so all of, we need to have appropriate sleep. All of that is essential to feeling well, but it's not the whole story. Um, and, uh, and we do need to take into account our emotional lives and our relationships with other people and what way, ways in which, you know, the childhood continues to play out with us as adults um, and to be aware of all of that and um, the importance, especially with the Aquarian age is like community. Like I supervise um, at the place where I trained and I talked with a resident this morning and she's she was talking about what was going on in the emergency room and it's just like it's just chaos it is chaos you know the um again the microcosm as a reflection of the macrocosm like they did some kind of 
training at the hospital like a couple of months ago because every five days there's a serious assault at the hospital and like the residents are traumatized you know like they're um like she said before she goes on call she's like afraid you know and um so she was um i mean one like a, a week ago well i don't need to get into the whole details of all of this but um there is a level of chaos and a level of violence and a level of fear and rage in the patients um and a level of abandonment by the hospital administration of the residents that is so reflective of the society and not caring about the experience of you know these young people who are trying to take care of patients and um so what what I was going to say was the reason that came to mind was that um, she was looking through the record of this patient that she was um, that she was uh, seeing, and she saw that you know he had been he was seventeen and he had been part of the system since he was five, and just how inadequate anything that had been done had been to help him. And you know, I just talked with her about this just broken paradigm, like. The, you know, everything that's done in conventional psychiatry is about the individual and let's do psychotherapy on the individual and let's give them medicines and not about like what would be the power of for this young person of being in like the community and the impact that the community could have upon his healing. But there's no idea of that. It's just all individual healing. And with the Aquarian age, I think that there's going to need to be like a shift and a recognition that that's, that, that doesn't work. Well, and it makes me think too of uh, what you were saying about the Chiron archetype and that, that sense that service, that we save ourselves through acts of service also. So that makes me think about Aquarius too, in terms of our you know, gifts and, and having a purpose in the community and feeling like we're contributing to the community, which seems like also a, something that a lot of people are going through right now, this sense of like, I don't know where I belong or what what's, you know, am I really giving my purpose versus just getting a job to pay the bills, but then feeling disconnected from that um, bigger contribution, which I think is... Yeah, I think it's part of our essence as humans, since we are social creatures, Aquarius, we're, we're, we're part of this tribe, we're part of the collective, and it feels good just on a really basic level to know that we're, we're giving and receiving, you know, that we're in that kind of relationship with the tribe. And pre-industrial pre societies seem to have, like, really understood that, you know, in terms of the way their, their societies were structured. But, like, that's... Like we're, I mean, again, it's like the paradigm of separation and of hierarchy and um, it leads to a lot of alienation and disconnection and, you know, the statistics about loneliness and like the level of violence and all of that is a result of um, like the breakdown of a feeling of belonging. Right. And that, and that seems like very much the distortion of Aquarius or the the shadow of Aquarius, the alienation. I don't fit in anywhere. It's not okay to be who I am. Um, and and also in terms of the distortion of Aquarius, again, the, the timing of our 
conversation is perfect because just last week I gave a class about Pluto moving into Aquarius and talking about the like how the distortion of Aquarius happens when we're stuck in that hyper materialist framework um, where humans are machines and where there's no acknowledgement of our souls and our spirit and our energetic fields. And, and I know one of the things you wrote about in your book was how our bodies are impacted by, you know, quote, invisible things like EMF or mold Absolutely. or right things that conventional medicine say, no, that nothing to do with it. You're, you're just crazy. Or this is just your, you know, you just have anxiety versus like, oh, there's actually something in the environment that's affecting your field because they don't acknowledge that there's a field that, you know, it used to be that they knew that humans have biofields and we're, we're intrinsically connected with everyone around us and with our entire environment. We're not these discrete physical entities. Um, and it seems like we're maybe, I mean, I, fingers crossed, we're at a kind of tipping point in terms of that mechanization in the approach because it just doesn't work like it doesn't work to treat bodies as machines as you well know yeah totally totally and i i like that tie-in that you're saying about the um aquarian um connectivity and the awareness of the invisible forces in the environment that are we're responding to all the time Right. Well, thinking about Aquarius, as you were talking about the air element, right, and the, and the quantum and the energetic. And I think of that, too, as, you know, the field or the zero point field, right. this field of infinite potential that connects us all. And when we can plug into it, as you know, from your work, I would imagine, especially in shamanism or energy medicine, like things that don't make sense or things that defy the, the laws of space and time, things that defy our understanding of 3D. It happens. It's there's a miraculous potential that opens up, right? And and you know, like like astrology doesn't make sense, but it's real, <laughs> <laughs> right? I still I still don't know how it works, uh, but I know yeah. that it does work. So yeah, it's observable. It's it's an an observable natural science, and mm-hmm. um, and I think that's. I mean, I think that's part of what. Not consciously, I think consciously I got into astrology as a kid because it gave me some sense of control or organizing reality. But I think at an unconscious level, there was something about astrology as evidence that we're all connected or that, I mean, you, you know how it is, like if if what's happening out there with the planets actually correlates to what I'm experiencing in my little life here on Earth, then Things are a lot more mysterious and magical and interesting than we've been taught. <laughs> exactly. And it's a mind blower. It's a mind blower. Astrology yeah. continues after 40 years of mm-hmm. studying astrology. It still blows my mind. And actually, as we're talking about astrology, I am curious about how you work with astrology with your clients or with your patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like when I um, send people intake paperwork, I always get their birth data. And um, I'll often take a look at their chart before we meet, not always. Um, And then, you know, people are different. I mean, they know when they contact me, if they go on my website, that, you know, astrology is one of the uh, modalities that I'm trained in and I'm interested in. And um, 
sometimes they will bring that up themselves. You know, could we take a look at my astrology chart together? And then some people like they, it's like a huge part of what we do together. Like they, they always want to talk about astrology and somehow like what's going on now and um, how is it impacting? And um, it, it's, but it really depends upon the person, you know, for, I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like in a certain way I can be like an ambassador for astrology because like a patient will come to see me. Like there, there's this one man who, when I spoke with him on the phone in the beginning before me, we met, he was like, kind of like hesitant to meet with me because of the astrology um, piece that it made him uncomfortable and just sounded pretty weird. Um, and then when he had such good results working with me, he got very interested in, in astrology, you know, cause like, I'm not like I had, I had something to offer. And if I thought that astrology was something um, valuable that maybe he needed to take a second look. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm also curious and, and it, it seems like you've just, you've studied and practiced so many different modalities. Um, shamanism being one of them. So I'm also curious about how, well, first maybe just saying something about what, what is shamanism exactly? Mm -hmm. And, and then how, how do you, you work with that in mm -hmm. your practice? Well, um, shamanism is like a worldview that, uh, we are all surrounded with the helping spirits who are interested in being of assistance to us. And, um, and also, I mean, I think it's part of the shamanic worldview that everything is filled with consciousness. Um, and so, like, I call upon my helping spirits pretty much daily and often more than once a day to help me and guide me. And so, like, before I'll start my day seeing patients, I'll um, draw and connect with the spirits and ask for guidance um, so that I don't feel like it's just like Judy with her small self trying to help, you know, like that feels um, like not availing myself of um, what would be more helpful. And um, so I typically will not you know, do any kind of shamanic practices with patients in the office. Um, although I will, I mean, part of, um, like, when I was trained, when I did my training in shamanism with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, we learned about the practice of making offerings. So, like, like the spirits like to be in a, in a reciprocal relationship. They don't like just to be asked, but they also like for you to give thanks and to make offerings. So I'll talk with patients about this kind of thing, you know, like, um, you know, is there a beautiful tree that they love where they could go and um, like commune and ask um, the spirits to help them and guide them and show them the way. And maybe they want to take like a handful of lentils or rice and, you know, scatter it there to give thanks and express gratitude. Um, I'm also um, have started uh, in in the beginning of June. I 
end of May, I did this training in ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And um, I like to do the ketamine journey work in a more shamanic sacred way. So like before we journey, um, I will call in the directions and call in the guides and drum and be more um, like engage in shamanic practice in a more like, you know, real time way with the patient, you know, than I do if we're just meeting for like a medical evaluation or psychotherapy. Yeah. The ketamine really lends itself to that. What I, I've I've heard about ketamine assisted therapy and know this is something that's really growing and has become more um, prevalent. Can what are the benefits that you see from that? It's really an amazing medicine. Um, it's the only legal psychedelic in Massachusetts, so I would not be allowed to offer other kinds of psychedelics to patients. And you know, some people have denigrated ketamine and said, uh, you know, the good stuff isn't available like psilocybin or MDMA, but that's not true. Ketamine has like so much healing power. It's, um, it's a dissociate, the name of it officially is like a dissociative anesthetic. So it's been used uh, like in pediatric surgery. It's very safe, has a very great safety profile. And, you know, like, you know, there's people are always like, thinking that there's like money to be made. So like these ketamine clinics have sprung up around where people go into them and, you know, they're given high doses of ketamine with IV and there's no attention paid to set and setting. And um, it can be, I think, quite a traumatizing experience and it's too much, too soon, too fast, even though, you know, ketamine can have remarkable powers to shift depression um, kind of quickly. And, um, but in my practice, I don't use an IV. I use a lozenge and, um, we, you know, play beautiful music and the patient lies down with an eye shade and, um, we talk, you know, during the session and, um, it, it like it has helped, um, patients of mine who have had addictions, like, like the, they're in their late forties and they've been smoking marijuana every single day since they were 16. And now they finally are able to stop and they couldn't stop before, you know, and um, people who are very depressed and have like this kind of ruminative uh, thought loops where, you know, they're filled with um, self-critical thoughts and, you know, feeling um, judged by others totally shifting like how they feel like we have these grooves in our minds it's like this default mode network where we have these repetitive things at play and you can think of it as like like a ski slope that has like these runs where the skiers have gone down and so everything just goes so quickly down the same path and ketamine seems to like a fresh layer of snow there's like a way in which like it becomes possible to think about things in a new way. It creates um, neuroplasticity, particularly in the seven to 10 days um, subsequent to a session, the brain has a chance to um, do things differently. And um, 
So I'm still, you know, very much learning because it's all, you know, a fairly new practice for me. And I've seen like with one patient that we need every maybe eight weeks to do a booster session, even though they were like fantastic, then it starts to be less um, effective. So, you know, a booster session or a few of them, and then they're back to feeling like really well. And it's different than um, taking an antidepressant every day. Um, and ketamine is literally good for the brain. You know, like it's, um, it's like a nervous system tonic and it's been uh, described as miracle grow for the brain you know, like creating all of these different neural um, connect connections and increased networks. So I am very uh, thrilled to have that to offer to people because, you know, like a holistic approach to your health is a lot of work. And, um, you know, like to follow an appropriate anti-inflammatory diet, to do like mind-body practices that uh, calm down the autonomic nervous system that need to be done consistently. And for 40 minutes a day, it's not just, you know, enough to do it every once in a while briefly. So like if a person is really depressed, it can be very hard for them to participate and to be able to do what I ask them to do. And if they can't do what I ask them to do, I cannot be helpful. You know, it, it's, it really is a co-creative endeavor. And um, sometimes the ketamine will allow them to feel well enough to be able to um, do the things that for their own self-care that they couldn't do. So it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds amazing. And I also wonder, and I don't have experience with ketamine, but I do have experience with other psychedelics. And I know for me, LSD and psilocybin were very helpful in shattering my materialist, atheist paradigm and opening me up to spirit and you know the unseen realms and so I'm wondering and that you know again coming back to Chiron and Chiron as this bridge between the material and spiritual and the importance in our healing journeys of the spiritual realm and and maybe that's also part of we're not meant to do it alone we need to have that connection with our guides and angels and ancestors and the divine um, so is that also like it, when people experience ketamine, is, is there absolutely, that kind of absolutely. There can be like such a heart opening. And like one of the things that I recommend to patients is this mind, body, spirit program called the Gupta program. And, um, it does these, it includes like meditations, guided meditations, but also these brain retraining exercises where you, um, imagine like a, a time in your life where you had some kind of feeling of great well-being or some kind of, you know, very special experience where you felt really, you know, particularly well. And so I'll ask them during the ketamine session, if they're having this experience of heart opening and feeling like connection that they try and like imprint that on their brain so that then when they do the Gupta brain retraining, they can call upon that experience. So that becomes something that they entrain their brain to, you know, mm. and, and it, it does, I mean, you know, it, the ketamine is, I think, is less reliable than like MDMA or psilocybin. Like the doses, like what can be like an effective dose at one journey for some reason, the next time the person is less enhanced, you know, or like it, it, it there's not like a strict dose weight um, relationship. Like somebody has like a 
very high tolerance for it and they need very high doses even though their weight is low or another person who's big needs a little dose because they're so sensitive it's it's a, a big process of trial and error to um, adjust the dose mm -hmm. but I have this faith that people get the experience with it they that they need to get right yeah that's really exciting what a and great that that's now that you can use that legally in your practice now. Um, yeah. Because I know also when it comes to psychedelics, just like you, you mentioned set and setting, like just I, I know people who have been very traumatized and not healed by using psychedelics outside Absolutely. of a therapeutic or a you know conscious environment. They, I mean, these are these are powerful medicines that I think they are very powerful. They are very powerful. We learn not to not to mess around with them, but to really use them as you know sacred and, and, to, and to sacred. You know, to to recognize their um, the way in which they have the capacity to connect us with the sacred and to have reverence for them and for the whole process. Mm -hmm. Well, and and along those lines, you know, for people who are feeling disconnected from their own spiritual life or disconnected from the sacred you've already mentioned a few things like the it sounds like the gupta program is is really solid for for helping with that and also you mentioned making offerings to ancestors or you know a certain tree or some you know going out in nature and um connecting that way but uh, and in your book you give a lot of great suggestions but what are what are just maybe a few more of your favorite yeah. practices that are accessible and yes. you know, very doable? Yes. yes. Um, well, one thing that I talked about in the um, book, and I talk about almost with every patient at some point, um, is the blessing way, which I learned about. Um, it's something, it's an idea of Angelus Arian, who um, was a cultural anthropologist who went around the world and she studied the spiritual practices of different cultures in order to, to determine what were the um, practices that they had in common. And um, she like distilled three different practices that um, I think are extremely useful and important. And the first one is prayer. Um, and you know, people are allergic to that word and uh, they have no idea how to go about it. And um, so, you know, you can talk with people about um, like setting an intention or, you know, asking um, for guidance or to be helped, but not, you know, addressing it to the God that they felt so turned off from during their childhood religious upbringing. Um, so, you know, prayer is the first one. And the second one is gratitude. Um, and, you know, focusing on the blessings and not on what is lacking, um, which is powerful. And, um, and then the third one was like acts of service, you know, like things, doing things for other people and like increasing the amount of beauty and goodness in the world. Like, and, uh, you know, like 
I try and encourage people to like expand that and not say, well, I did take my mother to the doctor or something. I mean, do something for somebody who's not your mother, you know, or, you know, somebody who you don't know or make a donation, you know, to, um, like I talk a lot with, um, people about, um, like donating to um, causes that they care about. And it doesn't have to be a lot of money. And sometimes, like, let's say they're anticipating something that they need to do that um, they they feel fearful about. They have, like, performance anxiety or um, something that they really want to have go well. I encourage them to make a donation and to, like, give thanks as though it had already happened and that they were so grateful that it turned out well, you know, to imagine things the way that you wish and hope and would love them to be. I love that suggestion. I am taking note and I'm going to try that <laughs> since I constantly have anxiety about whatever upcoming thing I'm doing. And yeah, that I, that, be... that's also for me too. So that's like a good one that mm -hmm. I always think about. Those yeah. are great. Thank you. Um, and again, there are many more in the book and this is just, yeah, your book, it's, it's so grounded and practical and also um, gives us that, that bigger picture perspective really contextualizes these practices and uh, how we can heal. I mean, that, but that is really the heart of the book is that's that um, chapter that's called something like creating a multimodal sense of yourself. It's the longest chapter. And it's really, you know, about all these different things you can do to um, increase your sense of feeling of connectedness and of communion with the um, natural world and uh, to increase your awareness of oneness. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, very doable, very, you know, things that you can pick and choose. What are the ones that really attract you and, and apply those like now? Um, very useful seeing the Virgo is shining through. Um, <laughs> you and I have some Virgo planets in common. And um, the last thing I, w I really wanted to talk about that I want to make sure we fit in are the white lions. And you mm -hmm. start your book talking about the white lions and, and, I'm remembering, I think when we first connected, that was right around the time when I had first become aware of the white lions um, mm -hmm. through Andrew Harvey. And then I, I read both of Linda Tucker's books about them and, and was kind of obsessed with white lions. Um, and you actually went to South Africa and spent time with them, which is incredible. So tell us about the white lions. Why, why are they so significant? What drew you to, um, to actually go to be with them? Yeah, well, I was studying with an astrology teacher, Maurice Fernandez. He was my second teacher, main teacher after Stephen, both evolutionary astrologers. And um, Maurice had a connection with the white lion. So he organized this trip to South Africa to see them. And um, I'd, I'd gone on a number of trips with him. They were always these sort of amazing spiritual journeys. And um, so that's how I was introduced. And... Um, the white lions, there's a legend, a Shangan legend, um, that the white lions are um, sacred star beings that came down to help 
uh, humankind when they were in times of need, like they first appeared during the Ice Age and taught people to hunt when um, and to survive in the extreme cold. And then they left again when um, things were safe. And the legend had it that they would only reappear at a time when humankind was again in grave danger, which is now. And they started to be born again. They're a genetic anomaly and they're literally white. And um, there's a um, African shaman, Credo Mutua, who's no longer alive, but um, his um, he said that the white lions are coming with the message that either humankind bows to the primacy of nature or we're going to go extinct. And so things are so out of balance and um, the white lions have come to, you know, tell us, to warn us that um, we need to change our relationship to the natural world, um, that uh, this is not going to be anything that is going to turn out well if we don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, if anyone feels intrigued, I really recommend Linda Tucker's book, um, Saving the White Lions, I think is the first one, mm -hmm. and then The Mystery of the White Lions. And and as astrologers, there's such exciting tie-ins with um, star, star lore, um, with these star beings too. So yeah, that's so cool, Judy. And they really are magical, magical creatures. It's like amazing to be in their presence. Mm. I, I have a dream to someday get mm -hmm. to do that as you did. Well, so before I let you go, Judy, let people know um, about any upcoming events you have and where they can find out more about your work and where they can find your book, Sacred Psychiatry. Well, my book is available anywhere that books are sold. Um, and um, I would love it if you would buy it and if you liked it to um, write a good review on Amazon about it. Um, it's um, on my, um, my website is my name, judithsafrirmd.com. And uh, Emily will have in her show notes how you spell my name. Um, I'm doing a talk um, this coming Sunday with the uh, with an organization that's Massachusetts based, but it's um, I think a lot of people from all over the country and internationally um, attended. It's the, a society that is uh, created to support people who have chronic complex medical illness. So that can be like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. I mean, now like long COVID, um, all of these conditions that Western medicine really fails at being able to treat and often, um, have what are called comorbidities, like illnesses that go along with them, like mold toxicity or chronic tick-borne illness. Um, and very often when um, these patients come to their conventional doctor and all the tests that they run don't show anything and the doctor concludes that they're stressed and that they need to see a psychiatrist. And that can sometimes be a very invalidating experience. So the title of the talk, It's Not All in Your Head, and um, talks about um, that and what some of the things that can be done to help when you have one of these illnesses. Um, 
So that's this Sunday, and you can sign up for that. I'll give Emily the um, link for that so that that's a free talk that you can register for. It's on Sunday at 4. And then um, I was invited to be a keynote speaker at a conference in Sedona in mid-October that's called Quantum Mental Health. Um, and so that um, that's also something that's going to be happening and uh, I have a blog on my website, which you can sign up for, and I um, write what's on my mind. And that's about what I have to offer at the that's moment. That's a lot. That's a lot, Judy. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'm so thrilled for you. It's really exciting for me, having known you all these years, to then see this book come to fruition. And it's just, it's beautifully written, and it's so powerful, and so, you know, be still my Virgo heart, so useful so practical um, for our health and our healing and so important. So thank you for, for doing the work and thank you for your courage and coming out of the, the woo closet and mm -hmm. sharing your chironic gifts with the world. <laughs> we are blessed. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. thank you, Emily. Thank you for this opportunity to speak with you. That's a real treat and to your audience. Mm, my pleasure.